Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? Uh, this week as always I'm joined by my good friend Baz. Hello Baz. Evening all. He's excited about this week and so am I because we're going to talk about cyberpunk. So both of us to one degree or lesser have been into the Netrunner card game recently and that's going to chomp at the bit for a bit of cyberpunk as well. It sort of ties into the sci-fi stuff we've been doing as well. Uh, we talked about that last week and it was good to get some comments so hopefully this week we'll get some more commentary off our avid listeners always good to get a bit of interaction so cyberpunk it's a little bit different than science fiction as a whole it's probably a subset arguably it's typically set on this world but perhaps goes into the transhuman so Baz, i'll ask you first of all what's attractive about this kind of genre presumably you've read or heard of at least the the william gibson novels and that kind of thing neuromancer there's tron there's all that kind of stuff what do you think makes this particular genre exciting or interesting for you because uh, it just looks really cool. It's uh, it's like designer clothes for role players. <laughs> it's got the branding, it's got the style, it's got pink mohawks, which frankly will never go out of fashion. It's got like speed, it's got a bit of a rock and roll attitude, technology, but it's also got decay and dystopia and uh, people living in trash compactors and it's about money and class and Oh, it's just I think it's just really, really full of widgets. Um, and I've had some cracking games of cyberpunk stuff as well. I mean, back in the 90s, to be fair, when it was all fresh and new. And I think, you know, we'll probably talk about this, but it may have fallen out of fashion for a little bit. Arguably, it's come back quite strong recently. But I just loved it. And I found it, to go to riff off what we were talking about last week, the kind of space opera science fiction, I always found it a really easy game to launch. Um, no trouble at all. Perhaps because it was set in the, the near future, almost touching distance. Uh, and I guess we're of an age now where we might see the year that Shadowrun was originally set in. And we're, we're coming in quite fast on cyberpunk as well, aren't we? So that's interesting. Yeah. But because it was so near. And, and I think gamers, uh, and a massive sort of stereotype coming up here. But gamers are quite techie, aren't they? And they tend to be a bit nerdy and geeky. And we like our computers and our mobile phones and that kind of stuff. So it's just it just sits squarely within the Venn diagram. And as a GM, I just love being able to describe stuff with the punk element turned up to 11 and the cyber stuff too. And it, it just seems like a, a like a really great music video that you can adventure in. So for me, it was the visuals, mate. What about for yourself? Yeah, all that stuff. It's one of those, it's interesting, why isn't it? Because a lot of games more recently, or a lot of commentators anyway, I've just added punk on the end of things like steampunk or whatever else. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's kind of like a lazy shorthand, like, um, I guess, Watergate, mm-hmm. which was the name of our building. Mm. And now everybody puts gate on the end of everything, which, you know, you kind of wonder if there's a, if there's a scandal with Watergate gate now. I don't know. <laughs> but that's sort of like lazy shorthand of putting punk on the end of things. Whereas one of the good things about cyberpunk was that kind of punk element, the, the anarchism, the fact that you're fighting the system. You've got all these corporations that are trying to rule the world, but you're just trying to break them all, you know, tear them all down or steal their money or whatever it is you're doing. But it's that kind of fighting against the status quo and the oppressive regime that's always had a place in the whole life. Certainly for, you know, role players. You present with a nice pristine dungeon and they want to break it. You take into a, a city and then they want to steal stuff or, you know, that kind of thing. They don't want to, like, operate in the system. I think gamers generally want to do their own thing and be mavericks, and, and that's a, a really nice part of it. And I did like that dichotomy between the nice chrome sheen of how the government see things, or the corporations, or whatever it is, and then the dirty underclass as well, and that kind of split between the two, and the, the players kind of diving in the middle. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, that dichotomy is that's where it's at, isn't it? You've got the um, the champagne sipping guys at the top of the high rise, and then literally fifty stories underneath them in the sewers, you've got guys working with laptops plugged into the wall, and and um, and you've got the street, and you've got the upper class stuff all kind of blending together quite nicely, and 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 I think crucially a reason to gain, which is everybody's on the take. And it's about what you can get away with and how cool you look doing it, which you could apply to fantasy games or, or, or any kind of genre you like, and certainly superhero games for that matter as well. So it's just gameable, which is something that, that sometimes a lot of games seem to forget. They don't give you any activities to do, but Cyberpunk seems to be absolutely full of them. You know, it's, it's, got, it's got downsides to that as well. I think it's sometimes quite hard to think of a party to use a generic term, um, as to what a team would do, because the fiction that this stuff was originally based off didn't really have a lot of that kind of squad mentality, did it? It was it was kind of lone detectives, kind of noirish, but that hasn't prevented things like Call of Cthulhu being a great game. So yeah, maybe I'm overthinking that point. But yeah, really gameable, and, and loads of, of good games hit simultaneously. The two big ones back in the 90s being Cyberpunk and Shadowrun, which still have their adherents, certainly in the Shadowrun camp. And then loads and loads of other little splinter games have tackled Cyberpunk 2 and taken it up to sort of the edges of the genre. I mean, I'd include Slay Industries as a Cyberpunk game. I, I don't think I'd get any huge arguments with people about that. I think it kind of fits, maybe even post the original Cyberpunk. And then there's indie games doing loads of cool stuff with it. And I think it's had a resurgence. So I think people have found that there's still loads of gaming to be done in that genre and all it's taken is the invention of wi-fi for everyone to have a fresh look at it again and see whether they can make it work with new systems so i think it's pretty vibrant still got still got a lot of legs yeah i think um because there has been there's like siren and uh tech noir and all that kind of stuff so it's interesting you mentioned a while that we've got um a variety of styles i think with cyberpunk it's not just a science fiction game it's got a certain mm-hmm. gritty hardball detected to it or or something like that some extra element that's perhaps not stated but everybody feels and certainly the new updated shadowrun's quite good because it has this this is one of the problems from the old days was you had um if you had the hacker which was arguably the good thing about shadowrun or that sort of game where yeah. someone could go into the internet and act it all out like they're in tron or something that's cool but what it actually meant was someone sat on the road with a gem for half an hour doing all the hacky bit while everybody else sat around doing nothing. And then they all went on the mission and he got to sit on his own for half an hour while everybody else had fun. Mm-hmm. So the latest update of Shadowrun's got the whole hacking on the fly thing. So you can sort of uh, take your hacker with you and you can hack people's optical implants on the fly or the security cameras or all kinds of things. And that makes it a lot more interactive and fun. So that, that definitely solved that kind of playability issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I think there was there were other double edged swords with a lot of things, things that seemed cool, but then how did you do them? So, I think the classic is that you get a mission. That's one of the good things about this, those sort of games. Is that Mister Johnson or whoever gives you a mission and you go on it. So straight away, the party have all got something to do, and they're all working together to try and achieve this thing. Whether it's because they've all got uh, complementary skill sets, because they need everybody to do a certain part of the job or whatever it is. So arguably something like the new Blades in the Dark that's coming out could fit that quite nicely. You could reskin that for Cyberpunk. Yep. One of the problems with it, or one of the potential problems, depends how you like to game, is that the majority of the adventure could be all your players sit around for three hours discussing what they're going to do and then second-guessing each other and replanning and then deciding why that plan wouldn't work and planning again and planning again and planning again. And then you actually start on the mission and they do something completely different as soon as the security guy turns up. 
because they all panic or someone misses a dice roll or, or whatever it is. So how have you handled that? Have you had a similar experience or had a way around it? But how do you stop this kind of analysis paralysis? Oh, it's, it's a really tricky one. Do you know, I mean, we're talking about like the glory years of cyberpunk, but actually some of that's rose tinted or mirror shade tinted, I suppose, because you hmm. you know what, you're right. That actually derailed more cyberpunk games than anything else. And and I think I think some of the blame for that has got to lie at the door of the fashion for GMing in the 90s. So do you remember, like, for... Uh, for Artausorian Cyberpunk, which is you know the touchstone, I guess, for the stuff we're talking about today, it had a GM advice book called "Listen Up, You Primitive Screwheads," which was highly recommended uh-huh. at the time, and it was a bunch of essays by by GMs about how to run Cyberpunk and get the most out of it and that kind of stuff. It's, it's reasonably standard fare looking back on it now, but an awful lot of it was how to hose your player characters. So, you know, if they, yeah. if they start getting uppity, you can start sending in SWAT teams and you can always trace them and you can blow up their family. And, and it was it was almost like 1970s D&D with, with, uh, with, you know, with rock grubs indoors and, and treasure chests that sprang to life as monsters. But it seemed kind of acceptable then because it was a case of who's got the bigger guns. Well, the GM's always got the bigger guns. So... I'm kind of not really surprised that players spent ages looking at blueprints, which they would hack to get. That's a big part of the game. You know, doing your investigation, your legwork. It was even called legwork in Shadowrun. So you just want to go and gather loads and loads of information all the time to try and make a stealth plan. But as you say, five seconds into delivering that stealth plan, the guns have to come out and the drones and the cars and everything else. And it it becomes a firefight. And, And some of my players... Or the guys that I played with back in, in the day, they even used to know that on a meta level. So they would say, right, okay, Jim, we've, we've kind of done the planning thing now, but we will, we all know it's going to turn into a firefight. So should we just cut straight to that scene? And we did, and we enjoyed it. But yeah, but you are right, mate. It's um, for for me when cyberpunk doesn't really work, and it's going to sound peculiar, is when it turns into an investigation game, because it often does. A lot of the scenarios that were presented. Um, work that kind of thing uh, sometimes they were dressed up as rescue missions or whatever but there was always an investigation thing to do and when you've got characters with abilities to hack the internet and use virtual reality and all the rest of it it's it's really difficult to pull them out of that research mode and then when you do they go into full-out combat mode and it feels a bit like you know D and D fourth edition at his worst excesses. Of you've almost got two separate games: one where the initiative's being rolled, and one where it isn't. And and going back to what the stuff I was saying about what I like about Cyberpunk, that was always about the visuals and what it looks like in my head and the movie that's running and you know the Matrix basically is what I want it to look like, even though that came out afterwards. And and when people are doing investigations or gunfights, that's when players tend to be at their worst for providing narrative. I find. I am as a player too. But I I always forget about colouring in my actions when I'm saying, what can I find out about this corporation? Or I shoot at the security guard. Those are my two worst areas for being a colourful player. Um, and I think that's true of, of most players that I've seen, actually. So so that's, that's I guess, maybe why we stopped playing Cyberpunk so much, because that, that, that became the routine. So I don't really have a solution for you there, Gaz. I, I found it a problem back then, and, and, I, and I wish there were an easy way around it. Well, I'm going to suggest that perhaps um, we ditch 
the rule sets. I think the rule sets, arguably, it gets into kind of a system matters thing or whatever. But I think this, if you look at Shadowrun, for example, mm-hmm. the new edition of Shadowrun, it's like a telephone directory. It is massive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's arguably, in my head, too much there. And if you've got tons of rules that are all about hacking or shooting things, all the rest of it, you're going to want to use them. And that can then lead to focus on certain areas. Now, would it be better running a cyberpunk game using Fate and just having lots of overcome actions for various bits, like Mm. the hacking or driving or your gunfights or whatever, and just bring down every part of the journey then to the same sort of dice rolls and not worrying too much about having the big guns or whatever, because that doesn't matter as much in that sort of system. Maybe. Uh, Yeah, that was my first thought when I was thinking about the topic for tonight, and and I'm sure you've done the same. It's like, if we were going to run Cyberpunk next week and we were going to get together, what would we do? And you're right, mate, we wouldn't be pulling Shadowrun off the shelf, I don't think. Uh, Or Cyberpunk 2020, or any of those big, relatively high-crunchy games. So I thought about Fate, but then one of the things that I like about Cyberpunk is that Chrome... And and the Chrome means that you kind of want to have the catalogue with 25 pistols in it and you want to use the one that's covered in Chrome and has got Arasaka written on the side because it's cool. Now, Fate Aspects can do quite a bit from a narrative point of view, but when it comes to rolling the bones, and I'm sorry, Fate fans, I am a Fate fan, so forgive me when I say this, but it just turns into a plus two, doesn't it? And I yeah. think that some granularity in the mechanics... I've played a million great Shadowrun games before they all got a bit repetitive. So I think a bit of granularity in the system might be the way forward. And and it isn't just about driving a narrative because I think some of the narrative comes from the tech. I I think perhaps uh, a more modern iteration of that game might be something like Feng Shui 2, possibly. That, That might have the kind of support and the granularity and the character arc archetypes that would that would give you some flash that idea of like flicking through a bit through a book to find baddies and corpse and uh, and things like that because i think rules light it was never that applicable to cyberpunk and i'm not that knowledgeable about the more indie takes on it to be fair mate but i don't think i would pick fate and i'm not sure what my candidate would be perhaps feng shui too but yeah i'd have to really think about it a bit more than that what would you use i'm tempted to try and do a cypher system version Ooh, interesting. It does mean setting up kind of all the different abilities you've got for your... I can't remember what they're called now. Your glaives and your jacks, what they're called in Numenera. Mm. They're called something different in all the different iterations of Cypher, aren't they? Yeah. But you can set up your own little paths, um, and I think it gives enough... It's light enough, and it gives enough granularity in terms of you've kind of got small, medium, large for most things. Mm. So you could have kind of like light pistols and your big heavy one, and then you kind of hand cannon sort of thing. So it's got that that sort of scale, I think, to be able to give some extra bits and pieces and enough sort of widgets in the system to say you get a free asset when you're trying to do this sort of thing if you've got this ability or this add-on. So if you've got a scope, it'll give you this extra ability or you can shoot at a greater range without the penalty or, or that sort of stuff. Mm. I think there's enough knobs and dials to sort of twist around with it so you, you know you're getting a benefit from having that gun with Arasaka written on the side of it rather than your regular yeah. gun you've made yourself or whatever else, while still giving you enough lightweight mechanics to just kind of get on and do stuff mm-hmm. and make uh, and have, make kind of make an adventure out of the little bits and pieces as well that you're doing. So I like this kind of like the GM intrusions, that kind of thing. So if you're hacking and the GM gets an intrusion, it's like, okay, cool, you've got your information, but you've been tagged, you know, the corporation knows where you are or something of that kind of nature. And I think that 
So, I, like I said, my problem with it, I think, is that I'd have to write up a lot of bits first so the characters that have, or the players that have character bits to pick and choose. But I think mm-hmm. for a con game or something, I might be able to set something up with that. And uh, the system's easy enough for people to just jump straight in on mm. and still have some options. What do you reckon to that? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it. Um, I think Cipher's becoming a little bit like the new Savage Worlds is a bit of a go-to, isn't it? Because it's definitely flexible and it's got words in it, and it and it and it can power blooming good games, as as we've seen from some of our friends and associates on the con scene. You can get really good games out of it. Uh, but I think hacking is the sticking point, and it would be the sticking point with any system, because you know Shadowrun's taken five editions and 25 years to get to a state where you can actually integrate it into the game as you said before um and and that's not the only solution but if you were to use something even relatively like like fate even relatively well known to both of us like savage worlds we'd still be having a bit of a head scratcher at the hacking stage because it's a really big part of the genre and i'm going to claim that if you don't have virtual reality runs into corporations networks you're not really getting a cyberpunk game going it's like D without the magic i just I, yeah i'm less interested and and every game can handle gunfights and negotiations and and, and grenades and drones and that kind of stuff because that's that's kind of relatively easy to handle but that bit that's the that's the tricky bit because the party um or the rest of the group can very easily become hangers-on um, and just rolling assist rolls, it becomes like the pilot syndrome again, doesn't it? Where the pilot's making the yeah. pilot rolls, the hacker's making a hacking roll. I wouldn't want to play a hacker if all I had was hacking or written on my sheet with a big number next to <laughs> it. it. It wouldn't be enough, you know? And then, you know, what do they do when you're doing the other stuff? So integrating it into the game is tricky. So I suspect I probably would try and maybe not even write up a new system i know that there's plenty of hacks out there so i'd have a dig around first of all so for example um, savage worlds has got some actually professionally produced stuff for cyberpunk um, interface zero i want to say and i think that's kickstartering again yeah so there's that um powered by the apocalypse has got loads of stuff for this kind of thing um and I know that one of the more interesting hacks that I saw on the existing system was the one that was done for Leverage, which is a Cortex system game. And Leverage is from the show that's about a gang of guys who get together to perform heists, which sounds an awful lot like a Shadowrun team. So, you know, actually they've managed to do that very, very well. But even in that one, I think they struggle with the hacking rules to really integrate it into the system. So, not sure on the I system. I think, yeah. I was going to say the other one I did mention it briefly earlier, but Blades in the Dark is all about a gang of thieves trying to do something. Yeah. Uh, in a city controlled by others, and how much they do and who they hit depends how much affects how much they get targeted by the bigger fish and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and each uh, character on a heist kind of like takes turn being the lead to do a certain bit. So I reckon a reskin of that for Cyberpunk might work quite well in terms of. Rather than just doing a big hack at the start with your hacker and then his work here is done, you could have him along the way and as you get to certain parts, he has extra little bits of job to do as you mm. get nearer and nearer the central bit of the company or whatever it is you're trying to do. I think folding it into the narrative of what's happening probably helps. Yeah. I don't know. The The trouble with the hacker things always when it comes down to something remote, isn't it? So yeah. Or you might get traced and they find out where you are, but that's not got an immediate effect on people who are currently walking down a corridor in some company's headquarters or something. Yeah, yeah. So, or or the, the other thing I'm thinking, perhaps, and this is 
kind of what RuneQuest did with magic, uh, which was different than D&D in terms of just saying, well, everybody's got spirit magic or battle magic, as it was called originally. So everyone can cast spells. So I guess your other approach is you pick something where everyone can do a little bit of hacking. You'll have someone who's better at it and be the lead hacker, perhaps, but everybody should be able to have a go at hacking someone else's smart gun link or something like that, maybe. Is that is that an option? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it totally is. And uh, and you used the word transhuman at the start of tonight's recording, mate, and um, and that's kind of where the fiction uh, has has gone over the last decade or so, probably longer. I'm not I'm not that sort of close to the scene, I suppose. But transhumanism is about more than just sort of like putting missiles in your forearms now, and it's about putting you know making yourself uh, have a downloadable personality so that you can put yourself into machines or you can put yourself into cloned bodies or you can become a space octopus or whatever uh, and that's that's predicated on the fact that, that everybody can access the virtual reality or the matrix or the net or whatever it's called there and, and you sort of slip in and out of it as easily as as we do with mobile phone technology now it becomes that ubiquitous that essentially everybody's a hacker and that that's an interesting space to play in literally an interesting space to play in in a lot of examples so eclipse phase i suppose is the poster boy for that kind of stuff and transhuman space was before then um and they're really interesting settings um and they run into for me the the stumbling block there is less the system because they managed to make that work with whatever flavor you want whether it be percentiles or whatever but the, the the stumbling block is the one that we were talking about in science fiction is that's great but what do you do and you know we've been we've been where well, you're a massive fan of, uh, of Netrunner, and, and I think we need to talk about that because that's like the evolution of, of cyberpunk that we knew from the 90s. But if I were going to play a Netrunner role playing game, which is what I would want to do if we were going to play Cyberpunk next week, one of my questions would be, what do you do in it that involves more than one person? Because Netrunner set up for a hacker to infiltrate a corp. And it's not really a team game. It's not designed as that. Uh, it's not supposed to be. But what do teams do in those worlds? So that which is a spin-off, you know, what does the hacker do question. If you're going to answer that, you've also got to answer what do the other four player characters do? And, and that is something where you're not going to get any help from the original source material, which had those solo detectives. You can you can always think up one shots you know for corporate extraction teams or police units or whatever but to get a campaign out of it you kind of want to go magic user fighter thief you know pick some classes and archetypes and have a have a team that does stuff Shadowrun got that question answered brilliantly with its method of giving out shadow runs i wouldn't want to take that to netrunner have you got any ideas what you would do with your setting if you were going to play it? if assuming you found a system that that you thought would get you by what would you do with the setting that might be different to Shadowrun or the '90s games? It's an interesting one because the the fiction around the the Android Netrunner universe is all kind of noir and detectives and stuff like that. Yeah, which I'm not really sure how well that works. In terms of archetypes, you can easily have your if you've got your hacker, you have your face man and your wheel man who does all the driving or piloting drones or whatever else, and someone's the gun bunny. So you can probably get four character types there quite easily if you want. I think you you look with Netrunner in terms of which of the factions you want to go with as runners if you were going to do that. I did have an idea about doing um, Jinteki executives at one point. There'd been some breach, some hacker had broken into your company and you're all vice presidents and you need to sort out what's going on because one or more of you is going to get the chop kind of thing. So I was trying to develop something like that with um, Hot War and have agendas and all that kind of thing. And you've got your own personal thing going on and trying to work out 
who's undermined you and who's the traitor and all that kind of stuff, which mm. could be interesting, but like you say, more of a one-off. Mm. I think out of the Android universe, the two that you've got are either criminals or anarchs. So you kind yep. of look at, is it a bunch of people who want to take down the government, corporations, whatever it is, or is it just some people out for themselves or perhaps little fish in a bigger pond? Mm. So you could start out with people with gambling debts or whatever else it is, or, you know, they've got dependents being leaned on or anything else, forced into a life of crime. You could put together a bunch of people with different motivations. And I think that's where your game's got to come from is why are you doing what you're doing? And then if each person's got their own one and it can all be different, it's a matter of are they together because they need each other to survive in that world because you can't be on your own. Because hmm. sooner or later, the strike force will find you and you'll be, you know, your house will get burned down or accounts are closed and that's the end of you or something like that. But I think you, you need to sort of build in a goal to have all these little missions that you go on or things you do are all just chipping away at that larger goal of getting to a point that you want to bring down the Wayland Corporation or you want to expose NBN for the Fox News network that they are and all the duplicity and lies they've told and expose them mm. or something like that. So you end up with a big a big goal that you're trying to end with, like your end of level, end of campaign sort of idea and then work out little stages along the way to go towards that, I guess. That's yeah. probably the structure I'd take. Yeah, cyberpunk on its own is too big a theme, isn't it? It's a genre. It's a it's a massive yeah. genre as well. You, as with any campaign, you know, you wouldn't sit down and say we're going to play a horror game. You'd you'd have to have some more questions answered before you did that, and it's, it's just as big a theme. So you need some campaign frames, um, and you know, you could play on the corporate side, like you've suggested with Jinteki, just as easy as you could play on the street side. Or you could just take a leaf out of the original Cyberpunk, which had loads of archetypes, you know, and it's had where Shadowrun had street samurai, Cyberpunk had solos. Um, putting a solo in a team always seemed like a weird thing to write on a character sheet, but again, <laughs> you know, you could have like your your team race, your car racing team, or your band. There's loads of reasons for four or five people to be together, but they need to have something to do as well, don't they? they need an agenda to take a, a word out of the Netrunner playbook. An interesting thing was perhaps something a bit like the Matrix in terms of having your kind of wage slave characters who are working for a company and mm. think it's all right at first, and some of the others are more anarchist or whatever else and awaken them to the truth, or they mm. want a man who's on the inside. And that could be a fairly interesting start to the campaign, have potentially disparate or two halves of groups uh, and then working together to do something, you know. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think with it, it's it falls more towards the indie style of Everyone around the table is to decide what sort of game you want before you start. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, that's the the best way to do it, yeah. more than D&D perhaps. I mean, you could do it quite easily saying, you want lots of money, so I'm going to keep sending you on missions. People keep turning up off your jobs. Yeah, That's the easy way, isn't it? But I think yeah. to get the most out of it, you probably want a bit more than that. Yeah, you could you could use that as your starting mission just to, you know, to get the game going because usually after the first session of anything, you've got a whole bunch of plot hooks and a whole bunch of like um, uh, themes that are going to start to emerge from your story and you dangle a few in front of the player group and they may not be able to vocalise exactly what they want on day one, but they'll start following some leads and your campaign might evolve and probably will and change over the course of half a dozen games and it might end up somewhere you didn't predict. So... You know, there's nothing wrong with you all meet in a tavern and a patron approaches you, and that started many a Shadowrun mission for us. And uh, and I played that game for must be five or six years worth of of strung together mini campaign scenarios, all kinds of strangeness, and we got through a dozen different characters. It didn't seem to matter too much. Get started, I think, is is usually the way. And 
and you know it's just it just notes for the gm initially isn't it it's like what kind of things do i want to get enthusiastic about because if if you're not it's not going to work in any genre but the start you've got to just remember the touch points of what you wanted to play cyberpunk for in the first place and if you do just end up and this is just my opinion but if you do just end up running an investigation game i'd say you're losing the gritty chromey style element um at because you could be running gumshoe in the 1920s and arguably it might be a better investigation if you did so i'd, I'd want to keep the bits that drew me to cracking open my netrunner decks and my android board game and my old copies of shadowrun supplements keep that in mind as you're sort of thrashing out your campaign themes and do something that you maybe couldn't do in a fantasy game or a science fiction game and that's where the, we come all the way back around to hacking again don't we and and working with <laughs> virtual reality and doing things remotely and being a bit of a wizard, but a technological wizard. Which brings me to an answer to a question you asked me about half an hour ago where I struggled on system, and it's just struck me that almost exactly the same sort of time I was busy trying to get my head around Mage, which was the old World of Darkness game and is still existent in the new World of Darkness game. And one of the big themes of Mage was people who could work their will and they were called, you know, magicians, um, against the overbearing march of technology and reason, which is not a million miles away from street-level uh, cyberpunks trying to take down the man. And the old World of Darkness rules were, you know, clearly they couldn't do everything. They could barely do vampire most of the time. But the new World <laughs> of Darkness rules are another generic system doesn't get a lot of shout-outs these days. I know you've used it for loads of different things. But there might well be some mileage in there, and taking some of the themes out of Mage might not be such a bad plan, actually, for for a new version of a of a, an old cyberpunk classic. Yeah, I think I like the idea of you've got different spheres, haven't you, in Mage? If I remember right, mm-hmm. I don't know the new one has it, but I'm used to like the physical and the whatever else, and you you melded different spheres together to produce an effect. Yep. Uh, so that worked quite well with the kind of uh, different types of icebreakers. Because you've got uh, it within Android Netrunner, you've got sentries, which are quite aggressive piece of ice barriers, which is just big and stuff you get through with cold gates, which are these kind of enigmas you've got to puzzle your way through when you have different types of programs to hack each of them. Yeah. So if you had a variety of defences, you could quite easily have to manipulate a bunch of different tools that your hacker has at his disposal to get through. Mm. I suppose mm. one thing you could do, is, if you wanted to be proper cyberpunk, is have most of the game actually in the net. Yeah. So, you you know... You guys are in wheelchairs or sleep pods or don't get out much in the mum, they live in the mum's basement or something or whatever yeah. it is, but make the game actually about the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. there's lots that could be done with that. Yeah, one of the weird things I think about the original sort of cyberpunk is Shadowrun stuff is a lot of the time, I distinctly remember one from Shadowrun where you went into the the, the net, whatever they called it, and it was just like a D&D world. It was like a fantasy yeah. setting and there's orcs in it and stuff like that. And you kind of thought, well, I'm not playing... A cyberpunk type game to fight orcs. That's like <laughs> I've got D and D for that. I've been playing that for years. This is I want something different here. The best be like cyber knights or something with laser eyes or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen some bait and switch. I've signed up for a superhero game before. Got to the end of it, and uh, and uh, and the GM said, "In the sky, you see the words game over." <laughs> And it's like, what? It's like, yeah, you've all been in a video game. You've all been playing like Tekken characters or something. And it, it's it's kind of cool, you know. You could get started in that loads of different ways. That's the Matrix again, isn't it? With you, you know, waking up to the real nature of what's going on, <laughs> which which leads me nicely into 
the possibly poisoned waters of is slay industry cyberpunk because i mentioned slay industries because i don't think you can spoil a game that's kind of been dead in the water for a long time and it's decades old now but that was kind of like one of the big mysteries of slay is what's it really all about and i don't think it ever really got properly resolved but there's stuff out there you can look up that will well you know again switch off the next five seconds if you don't want to hear this but basically it's all a dream <laughs> and, and it's not quite what you think and you're, the, you're figments of a young boy's imagination running around with big guns and, and bigger boobs <laughs> and none of us knew that when we started playing Slay so the whole game line tried to pull that bait and switch is it a cyberpunk game guys? I know you love the game but would you put it in this in this ballpark? I think it, I think it is uh, without the chrome they do have people with uh, like bionic limbs and stuff like that but they're all rusty and didn't work <laughs> that's the kind of narrative of the game is that, that they tried the whole cyber thing anyway so it was kind of um a very british thatcher's era kind of version of cyberpunk so it wasn't all american and shiny and chromey it was all very gritty and dirty and full of bureaucracy and filling in forms and stuff like that a bit more like brazil and 1984 and all that kind of stuff but you still have the large overbearing company that you can't really do a lot about but you fight against anyway and you're fighting the good fight, and there's rival companies, and you're not quite sure what they're up to, and you've got gangs and other nefarious types you may or may not want to get involved with. But it did some of the stuff really well. I think the system we've discussed before for Slay isn't very good and needs sorting out if you're going to do it again, is my opinion. <laughs> other opinions vary, but they're wrong. Um, yeah. You're working with a fact there, mate, rather than an opinion, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me break out the maths charts because I can do it. <laughs> but yeah, one of the good things about Slay was definitely the look and feel. Like the Karma Source book, for example, was just pages and pages of like magazine articles. It was it was put together like it was, you know, a glossy magazine or something of the time. And then the last few pages gave you all the game detail for that kind of stuff. Mm. And it approached a similar sort of thing in the uh, actual main rule book as well. And it worked really well in terms of the like calibers of bullets and things like that were on a couple of pages to give you damages and all that kind of stuff. But then there was just lots of pages of a gun catalogue or a hardware catalogue, and players would look through it and go, oh, I want one of them, and read the adverts and fall for it and kind of say, well, I need a Blair Blitzer, because they're obviously the best gun, because mm-hmm. Jeff Moreau, serial killer, says so. So I want one of them. What you, there's a two-week waiting list. Well, we'll best get our names down now. Yep. And that was without any reference to working out if it actually did the most damage or was better against power armor or anything else. It was just the it really fed into the the whole thing about this company's trying to sell you something and your players are buying it. You know, straight away they're putting down cash for something because an advert popped up. They got a pop up window and they went, Yes, I'll buy that. And I think that's a, a really cunning bit of the game actually, that it it was more about the style. And I think we, you mentioned that a bit earlier, but I think for these cyberpunk type games it is more the style of the substance. It's the cool yeah. and the interesting and the, the the flashy bits. You don't really care as much about the system necessarily or how many orcs you kill or anything like that. It's more about how cool can I be mm-hmm. yeah. at, at being in that media spotlight and buying into that sort of dream that the companies are trying to sell you in more way than one. Yeah. My, so, my, yeah, I think it qualifies. Absolutely. My favourite bit of Slay uh, was the idea of media sponsorship. And... Yeah. You know, and and this was all really before we had stuff like the sponsorship of the Premier League, and we had like uh, companies sponsoring the X Factor. But it's all coming true. But the idea of a of a two man camera crew following your squad around as you go off and do blue BPNs, and and you'd have to like give an immediate after action report to the camera, the sort of stuff you see in any major sporting events now. And that that was just just that we got some great role play moments out of that. 
uh, and just trying to get you know company logos make sure it's in shot when you're hosing down the carrion through that warehouse door there, there's loads of good stuff and and that that meant because that that's really that proper cyberpunk stuff in my opinion that's what what made slay sustainable in spite of the god-awful system that was dragging around its heels because the best thing you could do with that was forget about that straight away because you still got to write blade blitzer on your character sheet and that was way more important than the nonsense numbers that followed it <laughs> thank goodness yeah yeah kill stuff like that yeah they're bullet attacks because it made better better camera shots if you went in hand to hand so bullets were really expensive oh, yeah. so so you didn't gun people down that kind of thing but yeah yeah this this was all really before the like in horror movies these days the found footage things got mental since blair witch project mm. but this kind of thing was all before that you know you all got your helmet cams and you're going around taking footage and they try and sell it to a media outlet it, you know that's the best stuff about science fiction or the cyberpunk stuff or whatever else. A lot of it's all precursors for stuff that's actually going to happen in our real yeah. world. Yeah. And now sort of Big Brother and all that kind of thing is just second nature to most people. They're used to being watched on camera and all the rest of it. I think at the time when these games came out, that seemed really oppressive. Like As if you'd live in a society where there's a camera on every street corner and the government listens to your calls and can read your emails. That sounds yeah. horrific. Well, <laughs> welcome to our new, our new century, really. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that that's really cool because that that arguably that makes it even chewier now, doesn't it? Because we can play it as grown ups, and we, you know, you and I both work for corporations. Um, whereas when we were playing Cyberpunk, we were lowly students with grants. Do you remember grants, kids? Ask your parents. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's free which money, is a, it's which probably... is another Cyberpunk thing. Now you have to basically get sponsored to go and like you know get your degree so you can work at McDonald's. <laughs> Welcome to the future. It's all our fault. We were gamers and we made it up. <laughs> we made it happen. Yeah. But one thing we didn't make happen with Cyberpunk, which was where I got all my Cyberpunk gaming in, is we didn't really, we, we still don't have dragons and wizards, which is where Cyberpunk came in. <laughs> uh, so Shadowrun came in. So Shadowrun, yeah. Shadowrun was, Shadowrun, I, mean, I don't need to explain to anyone what Shadowrun was, but that was, that's still phenomenally successful and has never stopped being so through various publishers and, you know, the march of the future history and all of that kind of stuff. There's still millions of people playing Shadowrun all across the world, and it's as vibrant as ever. I haven't touched it for absolutely ages. I've had a look at it from the outside because I used to love playing it, and it looks a bit unwieldy to me now. I doubt I'll ever get a Shadowrun game going. But the addition of magic and elves and dwarves into a cyberpunk future clearly didn't put people off. And if anything, there it, it lasted longer than cyberpunk did, which tried to change and and really went down the toilet, to be honest, with its third edition, and it's kind of died a death after that. So, just why does Shadowrun have the have the enduring appeal? And is that cyberpunk now even? Because you know, when putting dragons and magic in it, does that stop it being cyberpunk? Uh, not really. I kind of put up with that kind of fancy. I'm in spite of the game, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm a sort of yeah. I like the idea of a troll street samurai, but he hmm. doesn't really need to be a troll. He might as well be a human that's. Uh, had dermal implants and uh, grafted on muscles and things like that. Do you know what I mean? I think possibly it's more the world in general that's kept Shadowrun going. Uh, the stories of the Seattle Arcology, or the you know, they, they, they really embedded a good world. They had a mayor of a city, and a, like there was something going on with the mayor who got replaced because one got killed, and they had a vote of actual you know the people in the community to work out how the game line should go and that kind of stuff. And I think it had a lot more solid and world-spanning view of things. Uh, that's kept the interest up for Shadowrun, whereas Cyberpunk was very much felt like I don't know what setting, what city it was. It was was it New York or something? But 
it felt it was, very much Rockaboy and Act Corporation in a in our city. Yeah, and it was, it was Night City. It was one they a bit like Gotham is in the DC universe. So it's an yeah. analog of an Eastern Seaboard city, but they called it Night City. But now it's New York on it. And it felt very much like a movie, whereas mm. Shadowrun felt like a TV series with spin-offs mm-hmm. and different areas. And I think that's the enduring feature of it. Uh, and had some really good campaigns as well, which were kind of like narrative arcs that took you to various places, like Harlequin and a, a few of the other ones. Uh, the, was it... Um, there's one about kind of like an insectoid race and stuff, Queen Euphoria yeah. or something like that. I think yeah, called. that and, ended up with Denver being taken over by uh, insect shamans and became Bug City. Or was that, no, Chicago. Which, it was Chicago got blown up, yeah, by insect shamans, yeah. which is cool. <laughs> it is cool, but I don't think you need a magic element for that. That could quite easily be a, a biotech experiment gone wrong, mm-hmm. and you're transforming people via uh, you know, a new science that Jintaki are creating, or someone else has messed it up with nature too much and created mm-hmm. a, a nano swarm or whatever it is. So I think those elements are cool, but I don't think you need the fancy magic element to do it, because... I think you had enough as well for me with sort of the cyberspace without having to go into astral space as well, which was like another element that was welded on top. And that felt like another, just when the plan was sorted out, then the major decided to go into astral space and walk around anyway and see what was there. Yeah. And then you had to have like your, your magic countermeasures and things like that. And it, it all got a little bit convoluted for me, but I think the story and the, um, the things they try to do with the world for Shadowrun are, are what's given its enduring nature. Yeah. Yeah, the Shadowrun world is still really cool, and, and it had really good little bits of micro-fiction in it, and, and eventually novels, which, considering they were uh, RPG-related novels, they weren't all awful. Some of them were pretty bloody good, actually. Um, mm. And and Fassa, the company that was doing it at the time, just seemed to have all of that locked down, whether it be Battletech or Earthdawn, there you go, we've got it in, uh, <laughs> or Shadowrun. <laughs> they, they, you know, they just had a really good suite of publishers, uh, and Robin Laws wrote some stuff, for them as well you know so they had you know designers from all different stripes of of, of flavor uh, and it, yeah there is a massive melting pot i think it's impossible to like all of shadowrun you'd have to be mad to like all of it but equally if you couldn't find something to love in it you just weren't looking hard enough whether that be a, a dragon standing for president and then being assassinated and then having to work through its will um, or whether it be a really good scenario that was written by some British guys that was set up in Scotland called Imagio, and I've pronounced that horribly wrong, but I remember that being really interesting and almost like a Warhammer scenario. Um, but everybody had little you know, holes in the side of their head with curly wires hanging out of it, and and they they brought their decks with them that were the size of nineteen eighties keyboards from Yazoo or something <laughs> <laughs> like those key tars that you sometimes see if you look at Top of the Pops too. So. Yeah, it all looks a bit dated now, but but they've managed to keep going and they they keep bringing it up to date. And I remember playing in uh, in in Seattle in twenty fifty three. You know, with Touchwood, I'm going to see that year, and I wonder what the place will look like. But the game universe has kept moving ahead, so it's probably set in the twenty seventies by now. And it, and that's the sort of thing where if I've got a few bucks and I'm at a convention, and I see it cheap, I'd probably pick up some of their new supplements just to have a flick through because the art was good, the stories were really cool. And I, yeah, I could toss the rules to one side and maybe see what elements I could nick. But yeah, there was definitely a, a kind of four-color American glorious charge to to Shadowrun, and its and its dark British brother was probably Slay Industries uh, about the same time. And well, look, one of them's kept going, the other one's died. Don't know what that tells you. So moving on to other stuff then. So Cyberpunk is something that we got started in in the nineties. 
It's now approaching 2020 when Cyberpunk was originally set, the Art Alsorian stuff. And then there's a big thread of stuff that goes through the history of gaming with Art Alsorian, which is where Netrunner originally started as a card game in the 90s. And now it's now it's with Fantasy Flight and they've got an Android board game, which is about noir detective solving a case, except it's not really about solving a case. It's about how they go about solving a case. And then there's other board games as well called Infiltration. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on, but there isn't a, I don't think, a flag waiver for just good old-fashioned basic cyberpunk out there on the market. If there is, uh, I can't remember what it is. Is it Interface Zero for Savage Worlds? I'm not sure. It is, yeah. is it? Is that the one? But is that the one that people would go to for sort of, you know, generic cyberpunk? If there is still such a thing, has that got has that got fans? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I looked at it, and I'm a bit of a Savage World purist, so the ethos behind Savage Worlds is that really it's more or less complete because it's a toolbox, and you should mm. just add, maybe throw in a few extra edges or hindrances or something like that, maybe a couple of skills. But that generally should be all you need to get going. Uh, and Interface Zero is one of those uh, applications of it where there's quite a lot of extra stuff on to try and do all the cyberpunky things. Mm. Um, so I don't think... For me, it works that well. I had a bit of a look, and it is... But I don't know. If if you're into your kind of nice stuff, then there are quite a lot of source books that come along with it and that kind of thing. So it's definitely mm. got adherence, mm. and people like it. I think it comes down to system choice again. Like I said, I don't think Savage Worlds, by bolting loads of stuff on it, actually works that great. Because a little bit like Fate, that's always a plus two, is Savage. It's generally a plus one or a plus two, where you get mm. a reroll or something. There's not actually that many options when you get down to it. Yeah. Yeah, and the Savage Worlds does, you know, it bulks out its basic genres with companions, doesn't it? So there's a science fiction companion, there's a horror one, there's a fantasy one. Is there a cyberpunk one? I, I, I'm not sure that there is. So I think that was left up to third parties, wasn't it? And you could always go, like, I suppose, we never talk about these games, but you could go the hero system or you could go GURPS um, because they're still chundering away in the background, you know, pretending the rest of the world isn't doing, doesn't care about them and they, they have their adherence and there was, I remember seeing massive books for like Cyber Hero and the GURPS line of supplements has always been really good value for getting, you know, the uh, before Wikipedia came along, the RPG treatment of whatever it is you want to do. And you can bulk stuff onto that. I mean, Lord knows if there's any GURPS cyberpunk players out there or any active groups. They're below the radar for me, uh, but I bet there are. Um, and uh, and it, GURPS can do whatever it wants to do. This has never struggled before with source books and such. So I, I just wonder, you know, just how much cyberpunk gaming is going on. Because I said there was a resurgence, but I think it's in the little indie games rather than the big old behemoths of old, the big generic systems. I think it is in Siren and Remember Tomorrow and uh, and Technoir and, and other games too, or or hacks for. Powered by the Apocalypse games, because that Blades in the Dark game that you talked about before is that's one of at least eight of the stretch goals are going to be for cyberpunk games. So it's still there, and I wonder if that's people of our age who had the big games in the nineties but didn't quite get the satisfaction for them, and now trying to rewrite them in in systems that they want. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I don't know how exciting cyberpunk is to to the younger generation, if you know what I mean. Because we sort of grew up. When I was at school, I had uh, like a BBC computer that we, we shared between 30 kids or whatever. There's there two of them or something. And technology and computer games and stuff didn't really catch up for many, many years. So 
there was a lot of to capture the imagination about the chrome world of a cyberpunk universe or Neo Tokyo or, or whatever else you want to call it. Whereas nowadays, I think uh, a lot of the younger generation have grown up on like really super cool graphics and extra little subsystems and games and all the rest of it. And mm-hmm. is is cyberpunk something that's going to capture the imagination as much now for a generation that are grown up with you know you've, you've got iPhones and stuff like that, whereas at the time we were we had phone phone call boxes and that kind of thing like a a computer fit in your pocket seemed like some crazy mm. story tale, didn't it? But nowadays, it's just commonplace. Kids expect to have a tablet and a phone and various other bits of technology, and they know what Wi-Fi is. And the idea of hacking into something... Well, there's kids who've got done for hacking into TalkTalk and all the rest of it, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. not... To us, it seemed like magic, whereas now it's a fairly complex thing that kids are actually doing. So, you know, where does Cyberpunk need to go to be able to capture that magic? Or is it one... Uh, a little bit like, I suppose, Delta Green for me as well. You want to go back to the 90s and X-Files. Mm. So for Cyberpunk to be relevant, do we have to kind of cast it back to how it was in the old days, you know what I mean? Or a bit like Fallout is, that's come out, Fallout 4 has come out, and that's kind of like futuristic, but it's set as if nothing really went past the 1950s and you've got yeah. atomic power. So is that something you need to do really to capture the feel of Cyberpunk? Is it of an era, I guess I'm saying? I think, well, I think it's, it's, it is of an era, but... Um... But it's it's fashion as well, so I think it has stood out of fashion for all the reasons that you say, um, and I think it's probably been replaced in role playing circles by post apocalypse games, because in the eighties and nineties there weren't very many of those around apart from the really old stuff like Gamma World, which was always played a little bit for laughs, and and now you can't move for post apocalyptic games, and the fiction as well, because don't forget Cyberpunk came from William Gibson books and Bruce Sterling and. Neil Stevens and stuff like that. Nowadays, the bookshops are groaning under the weight of near-future dystopias. Where, where the difference is, is that's just projecting twenty, thirty years into the future. That's what the current tastemakers see is going to be happening. Whereas back in our time, the, the tastemakers saw cyberpunk, which was not exactly a utopia. Far from it. But the difficulty with post-apocalypse stuff and cyberpunk is, well, usually there's been an apocalypse. And that doesn't bode well for technology, usually. <laughs> but it could be that your post-apocalypse is the AI has gone mad. So I think there's still room for cyberpunk stuff, maybe set on a different planet within the solar system. And that's when you're getting back into the transhumanity stuff. So it's, I, think it, I think it's bleaker these days with post-apocalypse. But equally, I can kind of get a sense from the people that we talk to that there's, that there's an idea that it might be a... a a post-apocalypse utopia that cyberpunk could do as well, where where things are getting better and there's a, that you can do exploration and you can go post-human and possibly post-scarcity as well. And then the question becomes, where's the punk in that then? And the punk is going to be, whenever you set up a utopia, there's always going to be a serpent in the Garden of Eden who doesn't want to go along with that stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah, And, it, and, it, and it's kind of weird because actually, you know, when you think about uh, stuff like Shadowrun, that's the least punk game you can possibly think of because as soon as you want to like leave the system and work against the man you start taking day jobs from him it's just bizarre <laughs> <laughs> but you know i think the punk bit is the bit that will always survive fashion that idea of rebellion and going against the norm uh, and, and that runs a really good thread through every single rpg ever from D to call of cthulhu to traveler it's all about independent thinking isn't it and then the setting might be cyber but a cyber utopia 
So imagine that, like a golden future that's still got that punk attitude of the people who are playing in it. I don't know what that looks like, but that, there might be mileage in that. Yeah, I guess that the other one, besides the punk then, is the, the cyber bit. And one of the curious things I never really saw take off was the kind of loss of humanity. It's like the more cyber way you got, or the more bits you replaced, mm. the more you lost, you lost your kind of humanity. And never really played out. But then that never seemed to make a massive part of things like Vampire yeah. back in the day where you're supposed to lose humanity and you started off trying to be agonised about your feeding, which, you know, as a 15-year-old kid, it's hard to kind of act that anyway, not feel self-conscious. But very quickly, that's resulted in, oh, I need some more blood points, so I'll go and feed, make it, oh, yeah, I've done that. Okay, we'll get on with the adventure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Cyberpunk loses some of that as well, or those sort of games where you were supposed to lose essence or vitality or what they called it in the particular game, mm. and you became less than human. But that never really seemed to have an impact so there might be something around that space of that um, how do you of sacrificing some of yourself to achieve a better goal, but then you're making yourself less human. I don't know, but that probably require a particular game or system to to reflect that, and that would be a goal of the game you're trying to achieve. I guess. Yeah, I, I think there's loads of modes there. But you're right. I mean, in those sort of slightly old-fashioned games, it was cyber psychosis was seen as this big thing to avoid. And you don't tell role players to avoid stuff because they're just going to run straight at it and poke the button repeatedly until it happens because you you kind of want to see what happens, don't you? And and especially in con scenarios as well, you know, play play your character like it's on its last days means that you want to explore the extreme options of what it can do. But you're right, I never saw it as much of a campaign theme. It never really came out of the table about people going full cyborg, except as as baddies, as people to be taken down. But, you know, going forward with that, if you take some of the cues from some of the the transhumanist fiction and the transhumanist games too, it's all about what you do with your personality when you've not got to worry about anything anymore and you're effectively immortal. You know, you just become about ideas and and do you just upload yourself into into the Earth's consciousness and sit there in the O'Neill belt or the O'Neill ring around the Earth and. You're looking at Ian M. Banks novels at that point, and you're looking at stuff like you know, Peter F. Hamilton and with Edenists and Adamists. And I put some stuff in the notes, perhaps for our patrons, about like places to go and look for the fiction. But there's all kinds of really interesting things to say about what do you do when you're not having to pursue the basic hierarchy of needs of food and shelter and relationships. When all of that doesn't mean anything anymore, what do you do? And it becomes about ideas and factions and pushing agendas over thousands of years. And there's cool stuff to be had in that. And people do make games about that stuff too. Mind Jammer would be one that came out recently, I think, is kickstarting again. That's supposedly about those themes. Uh, I'm not sure if it addresses them or not. I'd have to play it more than I have done. Um, Eclipse Phase is about that, but from a much bleaker point of view as well, where there's, you know, there's... Um, there's actual antagonism but you know there there is there's plenty more to do with cyberpunk but it probably doesn't have cyberpunk stuck on the cover in big letters like it used to and i bet it says transhuman instead so i think it's probably got a little bit more sophisticated and that may be not necessarily such a bad thing to be honest i mean because arguably at this point if you're playing cyberpunk are you really an osr gamer just in a different genre to go back to another podcast that we did before is there such a thing as old school cyberpunk happening where people are playing like friday night firefight with little stand-up cardboard figures and you know robbing donut shops in seattle i'd like to think there are but it would be a bit of a it's a beer and pretzels kind of environment for that sort of stuff now and i think things have moved on 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, arguably, D&D might make a decent system for it. I don't know what you do about the hacking exactly, but in terms of the the corporation hunting you down and killing you, or making you disappear and that kind of thing, the or you know, fr- frying your brain through the wires of your computer into your brain chip and that kind of stuff. If you want disposable characters in an uncaring universe where the the corporations really <laughs> have got the upper hand, then that kind of OSR play probably fits it quite well, actually. Yeah, I've not seen it. That might be the only strand of play that the people haven't picked up again, or maybe it's beneath my notice. Tell us, tell us, dear listeners, if if that's out there because I've seen everything else attached to the OSR and the the old D and D chassis and run with it. No, I haven't seen it yet, mate. For Cyberpunk, oh, there you go. That's our next project. We'll be millionaires this time next year. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we're playing petting new yen. Which, ah, yeah, that is upsetting. We can't spend it anymore. <laughs> All right, have we squeezed everything we can out of that old classic, mate? I think we have for now. I think the only other thing I want to mention is um, that FFG are bringing out uh, a World of Android Netrunner book or something like that. But it's basically uh, a source book for a role playing game. Really, effectively, it's just like fiction about the world and. Funnily enough, being a card game company, they've got tons and tons of really great, gorgeous art in there. So I reckon that would make a great game. I'm trying to work out how to get it to the UK without the extortionate shipping costs, but I think something like that's arguably the future. You know, All you actually want is the fluff and the shiny. Uh, you apply whatever system you think works best and, and go for it, I think. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see more cyberpunk gaming at conventions and stuff. So mm. if you're an expert or you have uh, an idea in the offing or you've got a game we haven't talked about that which you think is awesome, let us know because I'm well up for it. Yeah, and I cannot wait for that Worlds of Android book. Absolutely, mate. And do you know what? Actually, if you just grab grab a copy of Netrunner, play it anyway. I know it's an RPG podcast, but it's a brilliant, brilliant game. And, and I guarantee that the role player in you will be idly flicking through tradable cards. But if you don't get 12 stories out of the game of Netrunner that you've played, you are, you are not... Don't listen to this podcast anymore. You're beneath us. Because the thing is bristling with hooks and characters and kit... And it makes you want to do it as a role-playing game. And the only reason you don't is because you want to play more Netrunner instead. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's possibly dangerous stuff. But yeah, I, I think that the future is pretty rosy for the genre, mate. I think it's going to see a resurgence maybe just under a different label. Uh, and with the amount of people getting into the Android universe in the various ways that they do, it's surely only a matter of time before we see loads more of it at cons. And I know people have done it already, haven't they, based in the Netrunner universe. But yeah, more please. I'll sign up for it. Cool. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. And as always, if any comments, suggestions, things you agree with, things you disagree with, let us know through the usual channels. Feel free to drop us a couple of dollars into the Patreon jar as well, as in a few weeks on the 5th of December, we'll be at Dragon Meet, a convention in London, just a one day. But we're the headline seminar act on at 6 o'clock, so if you're in <laughs> London, uh, pop along to Dragon Meet and hear us live. We're going to be with our, our good friends, the Friends of Jackson Alliance, which is a long-running UK podcast as well. Three excellent guys, and we're going to be talking about Cthulhu and why there's so much of it and various things like that. So we've got some good meaty topics and five guys all with lots of opinions. So come along and add yours to it. We'd love to meet you. Cool. See you on the other side, chummers. Chummers.